As pastors, we get to share the great uh, message that Jesus brings salvation, and there's always great and wonderful hope. But sometimes being in the ministry means that you have to share some challenging news. A few years ago when we lived in Georgia, I got a call one evening that one of our church members died in an accident out of town. And uh, I called David, and David and I, David Butler and I, went over and accompanied a police officer who told a young wife and mom that her husband had been killed. As we think about life, there's good news, and then there is challenging news that we are called to share. Paul, as he writes to the church at Thessalonica, has shared the great news of the gospel. He has shared the awesome and wonderful news how Jesus has changed lives. He shared the news in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 that we looked at last week, that one day Jesus is going to descend from heaven on a cloud and the dead in Christ are going to rise and believers that are living at that time are going to rise and meet him. But he follows that great message of Jesus coming with a message of judgment. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse number 1 as we think about judgment day matters. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 1. It says this, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. With that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would uh, speak and move as we open your word together. Lord, if there's someone today that needs this message for right where they are in their life. God, through the power of your spirit, I pray that you drive it home. In your name, amen. Paul has shared the message of the gospel. He has shared the message of Jesus' return. And it's almost as if Paul says, look, if if you're not going to hear the message of the gospel and you're not going to hear the message of Jesus returning, then understand this, that judgment is going to come. As we think about a church gathering and, and those in first service and those in second service, as we come to worship together, we find that there are different maturity levels in one's spiritual life. That there are some of you who have walked with Christ 
for years and years and years, and you are spiritually mature, and you know the Lord, and you're walking daily with Him. There are others that are in this younger aspect of your spiritual life, and you're growing, and you're growing, and you're growing. And no doubt there are some here today who you are in church and have participated in church and been part of the fellowship of the church, but somewhere along the line, as you've heard the message of Jesus, you just have not fully embraced him as Lord and Savior of your life yet. And so Paul, as he writes, I think, writes to this wide gamut of a church, much like our church today, and says, look, I want everyone to be aware of this and to pay attention to what is going to happen. Because Paul, in particular, in this passage, is going to deal with the theme of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He mentions that in verse number 2, as he talks about this coming Day of the Lord. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. So I want us to think about this theme of the day of the Lord and think about what is waiting for those uh, who uh, don't know the Lord and for those who are being challenged because they do know the Lord. So let's think, first off, I want us to think about the Bible and the day of the Lord. And in particular, I want us to first kind of take root in the Old Testament. Now, as we think about this theme of the day of the Lord that he mentions in verse number two, this is not necessarily a new theme in Scripture. In the Old Testament, the the word or the, the phrase, the day of the Lord, is used some 19 times but it is referred to in other places as that day or this great day or this terrible day some 70 plus times. And as we think about the Old Testament, in particular the prophets, they are looking forward to a day of judgment for non-believers. If you write down verses, I'll read some to you this morning, but in Joel, in the book of Joel, Joel chapter 1 and verse number 15, it says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. In Joel chapter 2, in verse number 1, it says, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy hill. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. He goes on in Joel chapter 2 in verse number 11 and describes it like this. The Lord, uh, for the day of the Lord is great and terrible. Who can endure it? And then in Joel chapter 2, verse 30 and 31, it says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great An awesome day of the Lord. As we look at the prophet Joel, he is proclaiming there is coming a day of God's judgment upon where even there will be cosmic disturbance in the land and in this earth as we know it. In the book of Zephaniah, the Old Testament prophet Zephaniah picks up on this theme as well. And in Zephaniah chapter 1, 
He says, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess. He says in verse 17, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. The Old Testament pictures this coming day of the Lord as a day of judgment upon those who are in their sin, those who have rebelled against God. Then we pick up the theme in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the day of the Lord is mentioned four different times. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, in verse number 20, he quotes from Joel, chapter 2, which we just looked at a moment ago. Then here, in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, in verse number 2, it tells us about the day of the Lord. And then if you have your Bible open, turn just one page over, probably, in the 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, and it says this, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. It says, now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Here it's referred to as the day of Christ. And then he says this, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. I believe this man of sin who's going to be revealed, involved in this day of the Lord, is the Antichrist himself. That there is coming a day when there is one who will come upon the earth, who will try to stand in the place of Christ, while judgment is coming forth on planet earth. Then... Over in 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 10, is that last reference to the day of the Lord. And here we get a picture of final judgment, where it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up Here, as the picture of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament and the New Testament is pictured, it is a day of judgment that is coming. Again, Paul has written and said, hey, there's the message of Jesus. Heed it. Then, hey, there's a message of Jesus coming. Heed it. But for those who won't call upon the name of the Lord as he calls them to be saved, for those who will be clueless when it comes to the return of Christ, he says judgment day is coming too. Again, this day is not just a day. It's not one single day as we talk about the day of the Lord. Sometimes we make reference to that was the day or back in the day. We're not talking about back in one single day. When I was in high school, that was back in the day. We're talking about a period of years through high school. We're talking about a period of time. And here, as he's talking about the day of the Lord, he's talking about a period of time in which God will bring judgment upon the earth and upon those who do not know him. 
So let's now look, as we think in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, about how this and what Paul has to say specifically about this. First off, we see, or second off, we see unbelievers and the day of the Lord. We see the Bible in the day of the Lord, but we see unbelievers and the day of the Lord. And notice what happens in verse number two as he talks about the day of the Lord and how it will come unexpectedly. It will come, he says, as a thief in the night. I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen or not, or if your house has ever been broken into, but I would guess that you did not receive a postcard in the mail that says, hey, a week from Tuesday, when you're least expecting it, I'm going to show up at your house and I'm going to steal something. No, a thief comes unannounced. He comes at a time that is unexpected. He, he doesn't he, he doesn't show his hand. It is a time when often our guard is down. It's a time when we forget and leave our car unlocked and someone rifles through it. Or they find our garage door opener in the car and then they lift the garage door and then they rifle through the... But it's a day that is unexpected. It comes unexpectedly. As we think about the United States in history, there are two days that stand out that show uh, times when... We were surprised by something that really happened. December 7th, 1941, the attack on Pearl Harbor came unannounced and unexpected. And then obviously for most of us in our day, we think about September 11th, 2001. Times when we were not expecting something to happen and yet as terrorists hijacked airplanes and ran into the Twin Towers and then hit the Pentagon, we recognize from then and our life has been changed since then. But here, Paul warns, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It is going to come unexpectedly. But then he says it's not only going to come unexpectedly, but it's going to come suddenly. Notice with me as we look into verse number 3. Uh, where it says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. It's going to come unexpectedly and suddenly. And everybody's going to be saying, oh, peace and safety. Oh, it's okay. It's all right. The government will be saying, we're going to take care of you. Famous last words, right? When, when everything seems like it's okay, it says the Lord is going to come unexpectedly and he is going to come, or the day of the Lord is going to come unexpectedly and it is going to come suddenly. It's going to be at a time when we, we don't expect it and he's going to come suddenly. There's not this huge telegraphing except to look at the signs of the times and to know this, that as we look at the signs of the times, we are nearer to the coming of Christ and the day of the Lord than we've ever been before. We know that. He... Is coming. Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. It's going to come like a thief in the night. He's going to come when, uh, the day of the Lord is going to come when we are not expecting it. It's going to come suddenly. But then notice on with me in verse number two, or verse number three. Sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. It will be painful. The day of the Lord will be painful. He describes it to a woman experiencing labor pains. And when we think about labor pains and the pain that a, that a woman goes through, there's the joy that comes with that. You have the labor pains, but then you bring a baby into this world. And there's hope and there's life and there's something to celebrate. 
which sometimes makes ladies completely forget about all the pain that they went through, and then they have another child and another child, okay? Here he says this. Here he says this. When the day of the Lord comes, it is going to be like a woman with labor pains, and it's not bringing a message of hope, but a message of deeper, greater judgment and more pain. It will be painful. Luke was born when we were in seminary, and uh, Julie had been to her doctor. It was on a Wednesday. She went to her doctor in that afternoon, and they, uh, they said, your blood pressure is, is high, which is not that uncommon. And so they said, we're going to put you in the hospital today, and we are going to induce the baby tomorrow. So that's what they did. They said, go home, get your stuff. So we went home, got, got stuff, and then we took her to the hospital uh, in Memphis and waited. And then the next morning, they started a Pitocin drip, which is going to induce labor. And they, they remembered the Pitocin and got all that going. Uh, but after a while, when she started to experience those labor pains, she grabbed me like this and said, where's the person who's supposed to give the epidural? So go find him. So at that moment, I went to go find the person who was supposed to, to bring the epidural, all right? And, and, and so as we think about these labor pains, there, there was a sense of relief in the epidural. And by, matter of fact, four boys, four epidurals. My wife is an epidural spokesperson, all right? So anyway... Uh, as, as we think about these, these labor pains, it was so intense, and my wife has never grabbed me like that before, and uh, I don't think that she's ever been any more stern than she was at that moment right then to say, go find the person who's supposed to give me an epidural, all right? It is going to be painful. But again, women go through the pain of childbirth, and they bring a child into the world, and they think, wow, this baby, oh, that, it wasn't that bad. And they have another. But here, he says, it is going to be painful. And then he says, at the end of that verse, that no one's going to escape. Notice, the day of the Lord will be inescapable. He says, it is going to be like a pregnant woman, a labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and there shall be no escape. The day of the Lord is inescapable. No one is going to escape. In 1962, three men broke out of what was considered to be the most secure prison in all of the United States at that time. Two brothers named Clarence and John Anglin and Frank Morris slid out of Alcatraz and they presumably died in the bay because of the water. But we don't know. But we do know that three men, quote, escaped from Alcatraz. I said this morning in the early service, his name was John Anglin, not John Angleton, just so everybody would know, many of you know John Angleton. And uh, he was sitting right up here during that first hour, so we had a good laugh at his expense. But uh, as, as we think of the day of the Lord, it will be inescapable. There will not be a man or a woman. There will not be a student who will escape this day of the Lord. So unbelievers in the day of the Lord. But then Paul turns the corner here. If you notice, after he talks about it being inescapable, he then turns his attention to believers. 
And he reminds us of who we are. Notice in verse number four. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So it's like he turns it now and says, look, unbelievers are going to face this day of judgment. But I want you guys who are in the light, not in the darkness, you guys who are awake and not asleep, I want you to understand and I want you to follow through with some truths as well. we see believers and the picture of the day of the Lord. And so now he speaks to believers. And so notice with me down in verse number six, as he begins to lay out this challenge for, for believers, notice, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. When it comes to the day of the Lord and this approaching day of judgment, believers are called to be awake. As believers, we must be awake. We've got to be aware. We've got to know what's going down in the future so that we'll be awake now. It is vital that we in the church are mindful. Judgment is coming upon a lost world. Judgment is coming upon unbelievers. Wake up, wake up, wake up. That's the call. And then he says, look, I don't want you to sleep. But notice what he says at the end of verse number six. But let us watch. Let us watch so that we're awake and we are watching. And notice what we're watching in our world today. We are watching spiritual compromise go on in churches today while they are trying to tickle the ears of ungodly people and try to get them into church they're saying oh you can believe what you want you can trust who you want you can do your own thing and the bible gives the picture this is going to happen in the last days so we're awake We're alert, we're watching. We're watching the culture in our world today. A culture that is continually moving away from the truth of God. And it is continually moving away from moral absolutes. And we say in our heart and our life, be awake, watch. We're getting late, the time is getting near. Be watching. There is moral pollution. There is cultural uh, deviancy going on all around us. And so he says, look, I want you to be awake and I want you to be watching. But listen, we're not just watching the culture. We're watching the Lord and we're watching for Jesus to come, yes. But we're watching for opportunities in the world that we have now. We're watching for that man or that woman at work. We're watching for that friend at school so that they can hear the blessed news of the truth of who Jesus is. We're watching, we're watching, we're watching with a heavy heart because we know judgment is coming upon those who don't know the Lord. We're watching with a with an eagerness that says, Lord, we're ready to speak up. Lord, open a door. Lord, give us the boldness. Lord, give us the words. We're watching. We're awake. We're watching. He goes on. Notice with me down in verse number six, and he mentions it again in verse number, verse number eight. Let us watch and be sober. Then notice in verse number eight, let us who are of the day be sober, be self-controlled. In verse number seven, we find that the dark, darkness is getting darker We find that those who are asleep and are drunk are doing their own thing. And he says, look, I want you to be self-controlled. Now, remember the the church in Thessalonica. 
They were in a pagan culture filled with idolatry, adultery, immorality. They were filled with an anything kind of goes when it comes to your moral life kind of life. And he's saying, look, I want you to be sober, be self-controlled. I want you to live differently, talk differently, act differently, have a different attitude, an attitude of self-control. Do you realize Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we find we're to live differently and to walk differently and to act differently. We're awake, we're watching, we're self-controlled. We go on, notice in verse number eight. Let us who are part of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We are dressed in spiritual armor. Notice what he says. Put on the breastplate of faith and love. Covering our heart is a, is a, a protection of faith and love. That because we believe him and we know he's faithful, we're going to protect our heart. Because we have placed our faith in Jesus alone as the only way of salvation. Jesus, protect my heart. Faith and love. Because I am dwelling in the love of God through Christ Jesus and recognize that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I allow his love to penetrate my life and to protect my heart so that as I walk through a world that may not love me because I follow Jesus, that may not like me because I follow Jesus, I will not allow my heart to be penetrated with the immorality and idolatry of the world. I'm going to place faith and love as a breastplate. And then he says, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. My salvation and your salvation, if it's genuine salvation, is in three tenses. Got it? There's a past. There's a past. There's a moment when Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And we look back with hope, knowing that he rose from the dead and that we have hope because of the victory that's in him. We look back at a time when I was between the second and the third grade, when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, recognizing I was a sin, recognizing Jesus was the only one who could save. I look back and I think, yes, Jesus, you gave me hope. Now I look back and hope at the past. But let me tell you, my hope is in the present. Because I know right now that Jesus lives in me through the person of the Holy Spirit. That I have not had to take a breath alone. I have not had to take a step alone. I've never had to make a decision alone. I've not had to walk into a a doctor's office alone. I've not had to face a financial hardship alone. Why? Because the Lord is with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. So that I have hope. My hope is not in a 403B or a 401K. Or my hope is not in a position. And my hope is not in in a place. My hope is in him my hope is in him and then we have hope in the future putting on the helmet as a the hope of salvation this is what he's talking about notice back with me in in verse number uh nine and ten god did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. 
I live together with him today. I'm going to live together with him for eternity. And the best is yet to come. There's one day, I'm not, I'm not going to have to worry about the pain and the sorrow and the sickness of this life. There's coming a day when I'm not going to have to face the limitations of this body. My great hope is in the Lord. And one day I'll be together with him. And I'll have a glorified body. And I will see him as he is. That's hope. That's hope. So can I tell you today, don't just be looking around at the material and the physical. Don't be worried necessarily just about all the stuff that's around us. Have a a faith and love as your breastplate and the helmet of salvation as your hope. My hope is in the Lord. And because our hope is in the Lord, notice what he says as he concludes these last couple of verses in our section. He says, we're going to live together with him in verse number 10. And therefore, he says, uh, or verse 9, he says, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense of assurance. God didn't appoint me to wrath. My wrath was already settled on the cross when Jesus died on the, for my sin. I have assurance in him. And then he says in verse number 11, therefore comfort each other and edify one another with these words. Be encouraged, have comfort, have joy, be encouraged. As a believer, the day of the Lord is coming. You need to be awake. You need to be watching. You need to be mindful to speak up. You have loved ones who don't know the Lord. That should bring a sense of burden to our heart. And so today, I, I tell you, with everything that I have in me, and with compassion, to say, if you don't know Jesus today, the day of the Lord is coming. None of us are guaranteed anything. Our life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And we'll step into eternity in one of two places. We'll either be with the Lord or we'll be separated from the Lord forever in a horrific and horrible place called hell. It's real. But today, my hands are out to say, come to Jesus. But can I tell you, there are nail-scarred hands that would reach out to you and say, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've been off course, no matter where you've been, I offer forgiveness. I offer hope. You can be free from condemnation, free from fear of judgment, if you'll trust me alone. And with that, let's pray. God, I ask that you would take these uh, next moments and, Father, that you would speak and challenge us with the truth of who you are. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus personally, I pray today they'd open their life to him. Lord, may the message of the gospel and the message of your coming and the message of your judgment resonate in us so that no matter what, we want to say yes to you. Lord, for those of us who are believers... Help us not be asleep. Help us to be watching. Watching and waiting and looking for those that are around us who may need the blessed gospel of Jesus. Move during this time, Lord. This is your time. Draw people to yourself. In your name, amen.